Thank you so much for joining us online. We want Bethany to be a place where people can get connected to God, to each other, and to the world. If you would like someone to talk to or to pray for you, you can email us at prayer at bethanysite.com. We also greatly appreciate everyone that gives so generously at Bethany. If you'd like to give, you can do so by clicking Give in the top right menu on our homepage at bethanysite.com. Again, thank you for joining us online. We hope that this service will be a blessing to you. We've been uh, going through this chapter, this book called John from the New Testament. As we do, we're exposed to John the Baptist. And John the Baptist has been saying from the beginning that he is preparing the way for someone that's greater than him. He he says, I'm not even unworthy to untie his sandals. And as John the Baptist is talking about this person that is coming, Jesus comes and he points to him. He says, that's who I've been talking about. That's the son of man. That's that's everything I've been preparing the way for. And, And the followers of John ask him this question. They say, okay, well, you're still here and your follower is actually starting to follow him now. People are being pulled away from your group and starting to follow Jesus. And they ask him like, shouldn't we be doing something about that? And he says this in John chapter three, verse 30. He says, he must become greater and I must become less. This idea that that John knows he's been preparing the way and people are doing exactly what he had hoped they would do, that they would pursue that relationship with Jesus. And the interesting thing here, and this this changes the perception for me, and and maybe for you it's a little bit too in the weeds, but this idea that I think there's two ways that we can look at this idea of of him becoming greater and us becoming less. I I think we can look at that actively or passively. And what I mean by that is this idea could be passive in the way that, that we can shrink, that we can be some, could become so meek and so mild, and the Bible challenges us to be meek, but, but that we can become so small that Jesus can be easily seen, or the active approach in where we are pursuing this life in which God is visible to everyone around us. And I think that's what we see here in John the Baptist. You see, when John the Baptist saw Jesus and pointed to him and said, that's who I've been talking about, that's the son of man, that's who you're supposed to be pursuing, he didn't stop showing up the next day. He kept showing up every day And Jesus would come and he would point people towards him. He was actively trying to live a life in which Jesus could become greater. And he could remind people of that over and over and over. And so as we move through the series, I don't know where you are in your spiritual journey. Uh, Maybe you don't understand some elements of this or or the gospel of who Jesus is and what that can mean in your life. And we're going to talk about that in just a moment. But, But what we're searching for as a church is a way in which we can live our lives in pursuit of him becoming greater and us becoming less. In our relationships, in our conversations, in our interactions, that everything we do would be geared towards pointing people towards him rather than ourselves. And and we're looking at some of the basics of how we can do that. This week we get to talk about worship because of where we are in the story. But we're going to be in John chapter 4. If you want to turn there in your Bibles or or on your phone, if you want to follow along. And last week, Pastor George went through verse 1 through 19. And so we're actually going to pick it up at verse 19. And so I want to give you a little bit of context, but I'll say this. As I'm giving you context for this beginning of John chapter 4, uh, if you want to know more, 
you can go back, if you weren't here last week, and watch Pastor George's sermon. It's on our YouTube channel. Um, and it's a great way for you to understand more of this interaction that Jesus is having with the woman at the well. But the basics of the story is this. Jesus is traveling from Judea to Galilee. And as he's going between those two locations, there's a place called Samaria. Now, there's a ton of tension between the Samaritan people and the Jewish people, which we'll talk about in just a moment. And Pastor George unpacked quite a bit last week as well. In fact, most of the time a Jewish person was traveling that route, they would go around Samaria so they didn't even have to interact with the Samaritan people. And Jesus finds himself at a well in Samaria talking to a Samaritan woman. Now, the mere fact that he as a Jewish man is having an interaction with this Samaritan woman is a huge deal. And as Pastor George unpacked last week, he starts talking to her about, you know, water that she has access to through the well and the fact that he is the living water. And he's unpacking this eternal idea that she doesn't seem to be processing. It's a complex thing that he's discussing. And as they move through that, and he he tries to, to help her understand that he's so much more than just a man. He says, why don't you go get your husband and we'll continue this conversation. And she says, well, I don't have a husband. And in this moment, Jesus exposes his his deity in a way. He starts to help her see who he really is because he says, you're right, you don't have a husband. You've had five husbands and the man that you're living with now is not your husband. And in this moment, he peers deep into who she is and knows something that he shouldn't know. And she does something uh, that we get to talk about today that is is so human in my opinion. The way that John is written, uh, basically she changes the subject. He asks her or tells her about her husband. She's maybe embarrassed or it's, it's something that's a sin in her life or something she shouldn't be doing. And so her natural response is to ask a question about worship, to ask a question about something completely unrelated. And this is something that we do so naturally. If you have kids, you've probably experienced this more than once. I have a, our youngest son, who's 10 now, just a few, I think it was a few months ago, Uh, we discovered that he had spilled like an entire uh, bottle of tacky glue, that white craft glue, uh, on our carpet, but it was hidden underneath something. So however long it had been there, it was no longer tacky. It was just like this glob of glue, this hardened thing. And as soon as he realized what had happened, we we had him come in and start helping cleaning. He, He only did three things for the next hour while we cleaned. And this is, my son is a perfectionist at this. He's great at this. He told us he loved us. Um, He gave us hugs. And then he went and he cleaned his room. And I don't even think we asked him to clean his room. It was just such a natural response. Give me a nod if you've ever done that in your life. Maybe not that way. Maybe you, you know, change the subject. It was, and he's, I mean, he's adorable. So of course we gave in. Um, But there's just this natural part of us that when something is called out, when something makes us uncomfortable, it's easy for us to say, okay, well then let me change the subject. Let me, let me move on. But what Jesus does in this interaction is really interesting. He, he doesn't stop her. He doesn't go back and, and kind of dig in deeper to that. She asks about worship and he answers her and he continues the conversation and helps her to understand as a Samaritan what he is truly talking about. And so the big idea that, that we're going to look at, and I want you to just kind of put this away in the back of your mind because we're going to talk more about this, is uh, taken from verse 24. So you can write this down, or if you're using your Bible, you can just underline verse 24. But it, it's simply this, that true worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. 
This is what Jesus challenges us to as this continues. And, and he starts to explain that a little bit more. And let me, let me try to help you understand that before we read this section of scripture. This idea of truth would be, would be kind of the head side of things, the academic side of things, the, the understanding of the gospel or who Jesus is. Maybe, maybe it's the theology of the words that we sing together. It's oftentimes the external appearance of biblical knowledge. There's Pharisees and Sadducees and religious leaders all throughout the New Testament that this is what they focused on, that the truth was what was important to them. And the other side is internal. It's, it's the spirit. It's what flows out of us. It's the idea of the head and the heart and that both of those are required for worship. And so let's look at how Jesus kind of helps her see that. There's this um, quote from John Piper. He's a theologian and a pastor that I think sums this up as a church really, really well. He says this, truth without emotion produces dead orthodoxy and a church full of artificial admirers. That's the truth side. On the other hand, emotion without truth produces empty frenzy and cultivates shallow people who refuse the discipline of rigorous thought. But true worship, catch this, comes from people who are deeply emotional and who deeply love, or who love deep and sound doctrine. That that's what we want to be as a church. That that is the tightrope that we want to walk. That there is a spiritual and emotional side of how we engage in worship. It's not all one or all the other. So here's how we see this in, in John chapter 4. We'll, we'll pick it up in verse 19. And again, this is the woman responding to Jesus who had just told her about her husband's. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. And then here's where she changes the subject. Our ancestors worshiped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Now in this one sentence, she exposes a rivalry or, or tension or, or conflict that is so much deeper than just what she says there. You see, the differences between Jewish people and Samaritan people uh, were, were theological. They were, they were personal. There was a ton of tension. One of the reasons was because this, the people of Samaria had, had intermarried with different cultures and, and different religions. And on top of that, they had access at this time, as we're reading this scripture, they had access to the entire Old Testament. So there's two sections of the Bible, the Old Testament and the New Testament. And the, and the Jewish people had access to the Old Testament, the, the history of the church, the Psalms, the prophecies, all of those things. But the Samaritan people only accepted the first five books of the Bible or the Pentateuch. And it changed then their understanding and their picture of who God was. And because of that, it created this conflict. Let me, let me read this section for you in Deuteronomy says, when the Lord your God, so this is Old Testament, has brought you into the land you are entering to possess, you are to proclaim on Mount Gerizim the blessings and on Mount Ebal the curses, the curses. And so that's what she's talking about when she says, our people, the Samaritan people, say we're supposed to worship on this mountain. In fact, Samaria was right by Mount Gerizim. And so it's likely that, you know, she's saying this mountain because she's pointing there where they have a temple. The Samaritan people believe that is where they are supposed to worship and engage with God. And the Jewish people believe that that should be Jerusalem. 
And because of this continued conflict and lack of understanding of the scriptures, Jesus goes on and talks about this more, but, but the rivalry had gotten so bad. There was so much tension and anger uh, that some historians say there's, there's a story of uh, around 6 or 7 BC when the Samaritan people, actually a group of people broke in and spread bones throughout the temple of Jerusalem to make it unclean as kind of an act of vengeance to defile the temple because they didn't believe the temple in Jerusalem was the correct temple. And so by asking this simple question, hey, we say we're supposed to worship here, Mount Gerizim, and you say we should be worshiping in Jerusalem, she's really calling out a much greater conflict within the group of people. And Jesus says this, woman, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know, but we worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Now in this, Jesus exposes the depth of this conflict. The fact that their theology was probably broken. There was probably other gods that they were worshiping. They had this incomplete view, and he says, you don't even know what it is that you worship. In Matthew 15, it tells us that when we don't understand that that worship is, is empty or vain, and that's what Jesus says that the Samaritan people are experiencing. He says, but the Jewish people, salvation comes from the Jews. Well, Jesus himself was there, He was coming to be salvation through the Jewish people. And so he he does expose and answer her question, but probably not in the way that she'd like him to. And it goes on and, and says this in verse 23. Yet a time is coming, if you underline your Bible, I'd underline this, and now, or and has now come. And has now come. When the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship him in spirit and in truth. And as they're they're having this conversation, and she's starting to understand that Jesus is more than just a man, she says this, I know that a Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he'll explain everything to us. And then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. He says, I'm the Messiah that you've been waiting for. And that's the amount of weight that these words hold. And he challenges. He says, it's not about here or there. That is not the conversation about worship because the time has come now where there's much more to it. It's not a specific place, but but it's an act of how we worship in spirit and in truth. And sometimes we can look at at the Greek words. The New Testament was originally written in Greek and and understand some of the deeper themes behind it. That word truth there is exactly what you would expect it to be. It's, It's simply the idea of reality or facts that correspond to reality. It's something that's tangible. So when we're challenged to worship in spirit and in truth, that truth is foundational. That truth is us understanding what it is that we worship, which is what he's, he's kind of saying, that's what you don't have as a Samaritan people. You have to understand what it is that you're actually worshiping. And through that, we have the opportunity to worship in spirit. Uh, Jesus says this in John chapter 8, to the Jew who had believed him, Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth 
is what will set you free. And through that, we have the opportunity to worship then in spirit as well. And this is, this is foundational to everything we do here as a church. And I want to make sure you catch this. Like I said, I don't know where you are in your spiritual journey, but this, this is the foundation of it. This is the basis of it, the gospel of who Jesus is, the truth, and what that can mean in your life, the spirit that that gives us access to. You see, there, we believe wholeheartedly that there is a God. And that that God created the heavens and the earth. He knit you together in your mother's womb. But the Bible also tells us in Romans that all of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. It's the nature of who we are. And the wages of that sin, what we deserve because of that, is death. And not simply a death, a physical death but an eternal separation from God that, that nothing that we can do on our own apart from Jesus allows us to fill that chasm that we don't have that access in our earthly power. But then we just read a few weeks ago in John chapter three, verse 16, that, that God so loved the world that he sent his only son, that Jesus walked on this earth fully man and fully God and lived a perfect life. And at the end of his life, he went to the cross after he, he did his ministry, he shared, he helped people to understand, he revealed himself as Messiah, then he went to the cross as, as an atonement, as a sacrifice, as a payment for my sin, for your sin. And he says that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but shall have eternal life. But because through his death and resurrection, we now have access that bridge, that, that chasm has been, has been filled in. We have a bridge by which we can have access to the creator of the universe through a relationship with Jesus Christ. But here's where it gets complicated. It's not simply understanding that, but it's the fact that we have to choose what to decide to do with it. The Bible says that if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord, you will be saved. But no one else can do that for you. Your parents can't do that for you. Your friends can't do that for you. Your spouse can't do that for you. You have to, to, to listen to the teaching of Jesus and process that and, and choose. Am I going to believe that Jesus is who he says he is? And am I going to step into a relationship with him and through that have access to God? And, and what we get because of that is access to the Spirit. The Bible says that the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is now at work within the hearts and minds of those that love him. That through that relationship with Jesus, we have access to the Holy Spirit that changes us from the inside out, that helps us restore relationships, overcome addictions, that carries us through in the midst of whatever we're going through, that gives us hope in the midst of a year like the year that we've had. That when everyone else is wondering, what is this all about? If, if all that matters about this earth is what we have in our day-to-day, -day, and when we die, it's over, then those things are hopeless. But through Jesus Christ, we have an eternal hope in who he is. Amen? And here's, here's the truth, that that's why we exist as a church. That's why we sing these songs, to remind ourselves of that gospel of who Jesus is and what that can mean in our lives. And if you want to know more about that, 
If you want to talk to someone about that, if you want to make that decision, you can do that tonight. Maybe you've been hovering around this idea of who Jesus is and you just need to step out and say, I confess with my, my mouth and believe in my heart that Jesus is Lord and I want to step into that relationship with him because through that, then you have access to worship both in spirit and in truth. That they walk hand in hand, that those two things allow us that access. John chapter three, verse six says, flesh gives birth to flesh, but spirit gives birth to spirit. That that is how we can truly worship God. And that's why, again, verse 24 is so important. That true worshipers must worship both in spirit and in truth. And then part of what you start to ask yourself then is, as we focus on this, this word worship, is, is what does that actually mean? And we could, man, we could spend an entire series on that. We could talk about that for weeks to help you fully understand. Because we say this all the time. Worship is not simply gathering together and singing songs once a week. Thank goodness it isn't because we didn't get to do that for a long time. The question is, what are you doing with the other 167 hours of your week outside of this building? And is that worship? Let's read this in, in Romans. It says, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. Catch what he says here. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That how we live our lives outside of this room, how we interact with people, how we have relationships, how we love people, all of those things are our spiritual act of worship if it's done through Jesus in spirit and in truth. That you have access over and over and over again to worship God every moment of your day. And oftentimes it has nothing to do with singing a song and everything to do with, with reading his word or loving someone, or helping someone, or all of the things that we talked about that, that are our effort to make him greater and ourselves less. That that would be how we live out our worship. I have an illustration that might help you understand a little bit this idea of spirit and truth. Alexa, turn the lights down. Come here, come on, that's pretty good. <laughs> just kidding. But if your name was Alexa or Siri and you wanted to volunteer in our tech department, we could have a lot of fun with that. I'm just saying. Uh, here's what I think of when I look at this idea of, of spirit and truth. That we know so much of, of the people that Jesus talked to in the New Testament were religious people that on the outside, everything looked like they knew exactly what they were talking about. And I think a lot of times that is similar to this flame. Now, I don't know if you can see it from where you are, but there's light that's cast. It's visible. And that's what truth is oftentimes in our life. It's, a, it's our doctrine. It's the, it's the external things that people see that's visible. It's our head. But what we have that's internal, is the spirit. And with this flame, you guys can't feel it, but there's heat. And that heat cannot be there without the light. 
And that light cannot be there without the heat. But, but what we don't see is just as important. And so maybe part of this is just asking yourself, is this something that I believe or is this something that has truly changed me? Am I being changed from the inside out? Am I allowing God's spirit to work through me as I live my life as a sacrifice to him? Because that's what it should be. And oftentimes the hardest part of that to control and to focus on and to put energy into is the unseen aspect, the heat that that produces. As that light gets bigger, the heat should get bigger as well. But you can't have one without the other in spirit and in truth. And that's the type of church that we want to be. We want to have sound doctrine We want to understand the Bible. Pastor George gets up here every week and teaches the Bible line by line thoroughly in a way that helps you understand it. But at the same time, there needs to be something inside of us that is burning to draw us towards people. We need to allow God to change our lives and to change our hearts because it's more than academic. It's something that needs to be inside of us flowing out in how we live our lives. Will you stand with us tonight? I have a friend that was a worship leader and he used to say that when we gather together, sometimes I sing because I want to sing. But sometimes I sing to want to sing. Let me explain that. This idea that I sing because I want, sometimes it's just so natural. Maybe you've had a great week. Maybe you're seeing God move in a powerful way. And so when you, when you come into this room or when you're sitting in your car, you're, you're just proclaiming the truth. You're, you're being drawn towards God. But other times, that truth might be what's guiding you deeper into your spirit. That you might sing the lyrics that are up on this song or read through a section in your Bible. And that might be what encourages you. Because if both of those things are aligned then it allows us to point our hearts and minds towards Jesus in a way that is so powerful, in a way that can change our lives. And I don't know what kind of year you've had, I don't know what kind of week you've had, but oftentimes the truth is what carries us through and reminds us of what God already brought us to. It reminds you of how he's restored your life, what he's already done. It might've been a year ago, it might've been 20 years ago. But that's what we do when we proclaim truth together, that we make ourselves less and we make him greater.